Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. I'll begin reading at verse 23, our text for uh, this morning's sermon. We believe the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of the true and living God, and as such, our only rule of faith and practice. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread of the, and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Uh, this is the first of anticipated 12 communion services in the year 2024. And at the outset of the year and uh, those services, I'd like to give focused attention, focused attention to uh, communion, uh, to what the Bible speaks of as the Lord's Supper uh, that served on the Lord's table and uh, typically on the Lord's day. Those are the three things that have the Lord's name attached to them. And of course, we are the Lord's people, uh, hence the title of the sermon, the Lord's people, the Lord's day, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, all those things coming together uh, whenever we celebrate communion or what uh, in other places is called the Eucharist uh, together. In, in our own tradition, uh, the Lord's Supper has been referred to as the epitome, the apex of the whole Christian religion. It seems that we have everything presented visibly for us when we observe the Lord's Supper and we receive the benefits of Christ in an especially uh, particular and uh, blessed a blessed way. Uh, so I want to raise the question, why is the Lord's Supper so special? Why ought it to be a priority for us? Why its uh, observance ought to be uh, an event that we never miss? Uh, well, I want to summarize it in this way. It is a covenantal meal. It is the Passover of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus in verse 25, we just read, uh, speaks of it as the new covenant in my blood. It's superseding the Passover event, which were the occasion of its institution in the upper room with the disciples. Uh, as a covenant meal, it has vast implications for us. Now, when I was still a 20-something uh, serving a church in Miami, I wrote a guest editorial for uh, the Miami Herald. And uh, on that occasion, the publisher and, and uh, chairman of the Miami Herald gave me a call and said, I'd like to meet you. And so invited me to go to the 
the headquarters of the Miami Herald, and I enjoyed lunch with him in uh, their private boardroom. Dick Capon was uh, the name of this man who was a very strong Christian, as it turned out, and I had no idea that when I submitted the editorial. But my point here is that that was a tremendous privilege for me as a 20-something, as a to be invited to the chairman of the publishers, uh, private dining, and to have a meal with him and to be able to exchange ideas and so forth. So we would want to, particularly to say that at the outset, to be invited to not, uh, not the publisher's table, or not, even, not even the president's table, but to the Lord's table uh, to enjoy supper, to, to break bread with him, now, that's a tremendous privilege uh, for every one of us and, and not, uh, ought not ever to be discounted. Tremendous privilege and a tremendous priority as at the supper we portray Christ and all of his benefits. So let me try to answer the question. What is it that we are doing when we observe the Lord's Supper? And I have five headings under which I want to answer that question. Number one, we are proclaiming the gospel. Uh, so notice that Jesus speaks in verse 24 of doing this in remembrance. Again, in verse 25, in remembrance of me. Verse 26, thus you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, it's a proclamation of the meaning of the Lord's death and a display of all the benefits that come to us by uh, th those benefits uh, all that, come, that was by, by his death. Uh, sacraments are visible words defined as such uh, centuries ago by the great theologian Augustine. This is a visible gospel. It is the heart of Christianity. It uh, displays that, that at, the, at the center of what Christianity is, is a cross upon which there occurred a death, a death which was for the sins of the world. We display what the Apostle Paul summarizes as the message that we preach, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, that message of Christ crucified. I determined to know nothing among you, he says, except Jesus Christ in, and him crucified. Uh, the Dead Theologian Society here at our church is, is going to read this year uh, J. Gresham, J., uh, J. Gresham Machen's uh, Christianity and Liberalism. It's 100 years old now. It was written in 1923. And he makes the point in the opening section of that book that Christianity is about an event, an event that took place uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, Jesus Christ was crucified. That's, that's history. That's an event. And then there's the theological meaning that goes along with the event. He died, that's the event, for our sins. There's the meaning behind it. There's the theological reason. And so when we display the bread, that's the body. We display the cup, that's the blood. It's the death that's at the center. It's at the heart of the Christian religion. A death that atones, a death by which we are saved from our sin, a death whereby we are reconciled to God, a death whereby we receive the gift of eternal life. We being all those who have entered into a covenant with him by faith, who are trusting him for, for our salvation and for forgiveness and pardon. So what we have in the Lord's Supper is a full display of the gospel, the atonement, redemption, propitiation, salvation. That is at the center of what it means to be a Christian. It's no accident that uh, throughout the history of the church, 
A cross has been the symbol of Christianity because at the center of what it means to be a Christian is, is, is a cross. And the cross is a symbol of a death, a death that atones for all the sin of the world. Number two, second thing that we are doing is we are enjoying fellowship with God. Especially we are enjoying fellowship with the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. So if you turn a page back to uh, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 10, verse 16, there the Apostle Paul says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Note the word participation. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Now the word there is uh, koinonia or koinonia. Uh, it's the word that typically is translated fellowship. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is that through the bread and through the cup uh, that we enter into a participation with Christ. We enjoy a fellowship with him. In other words, he is present in some sense here with us when we participate in the Lord's Supper. There is a distinctive kind of presence that is enjoyed by the people of God when they come to the Lord's table and participate in the Lord's Supper. This is my body, he says. Now, in what sense are we to understand that presence? Well, we think it shouldn't be understood as a, as a physical presence or a carnal presence or as, as though his presence was uh, or, uh, physically localized in, in some way. No, his body is in heaven. It's a spiritual presence. He is spiritually present, truly present, but spiritually present in the fullness of his humanity and of his divinity. And so we have fellowship with him at the table. We connect with him uh, as, it, as it were. We mustn't misconstrue this to, to understand this in a kind of a natural way. When Jesus says, this is my body, uh, we, we should interpret that in, uh, according to the natural rules of, uh, of interpretation. It's, it's clear when he says, this is my body, and he's actually physically standing there with the disciples, that he, he means that in a metaphorical sense. This represents my body. This is a symbol of my body and a symbol uh, of my blood. His presence then is a spiritual presence and we enjoy spiritual fellowship with him. The Lord's Supper, uh, it uh, represents his body and his blood and yet they do convey his presence. And so it's at the table that we enjoy a particular kind of fellowship with, with Christ. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in, his name, in my name, there I am in the midst. So week in and week out, we enjoy the presence of Christ, but there's this distinctive presence that we enjoy at the table itself. Uh, number three, uh, we are receiving spiritual nourishment. So number one, we are proclaiming the gospel. Number two, we are enjoying fellowship with the ascended Christ. And number three, we are receiving spiritual nourishment. So again, if you turn back a page, chapter 10, verse 3, there the apostle Paul is drawing a parallel between the experience of Old Testament believers as they passed under the cloud and passed through the sea and says in verse 2, they that all of the children of Israel were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea 
and all ate of the same spiritual food and all ate the same spiritual drink. And, and, and then he says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So in other words, what he's saying is that their experience was the equivalent, equivalent of our experience. They enjoyed spiritual food and spiritual drink. And then that leads into chapter 11 in his description of the Lord's Supper. So what was he saying? He's saying there that we enjoy spiritual food and spiritual drink in the supper. They enjoyed spiritual food and spiritual drink. Their experience parallels ours. We enjoy spiritual food and spiritual drink. So what we have here is a, is a representative meal. Nobody's going to get full on the tiny morsels uh, that, uh, that, that we um, distribute in the Lord's Supper. You get a, a little piece of bread, and, and you get a, a, little, a little cup where you partake of the fruit of the vine. That's not going to fill your stomach. It's a symbolic meal is what it is. It's symbolic physically because the nourishment that we receive is not physical nourishment, it's spiritual nourishment. It's a spiritual food for the soul. It's spiritual drink for the soul. It nourishes our souls. Uh, if, so we, we can say faithfully, if we want to grow as Christians, we need this spiritual food. We need this spiritual drink. This is among the provisions that, that God has made for his people. There are only three primary means of grace. There's the word, there's prayer, and then there's the sacraments. Means of grace, means by which we get the benefit of what Jesus did long ago and far away. How do we, how do we get the benefit of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and thousands of miles away? How do those benefits cross through all that space and all that time? Well, they come to us through means, the word, the sacraments, and prayer. So we get those benefits. We get, we get the, the blessings. We get Indeed, we get nourishment for our souls by participating in the Lord's Supper. If I want to grow as a Christian, this has a vital role to play. I can remember growing up thinking uh, when it was uh, the Sunday when we would observe the Lord's Supper, uh, my, my heart would sink because I knew that it meant that the, the service would go on another 15 or 20, even 30 minutes. So it would just delay getting home and having lunch. And I don't doubt that there's been many who have replicated that same outlook, not really understanding the fullness of the meaning of, of what, we, what we do here when we uh, participate in, in the supper. We have fellowship with the ascended Christ, and we receive nourishment for our souls, vital nourishment, irreplaceable nourishment that we cannot make up for or accommodate in any other way. And that's why it's a priority that we participate in the Lord's Supper when it is administered. Uh, then fourth, we confirm our mutual commitment. Uh, that is, God can, confirms his commitment to us and we confirm our commitment to him. So transactions in the ancient world were confirmed, they were ratified, they were sealed. So we can speak even today of sealing the deal. How did they seal the deal back then with a meal? So we do it with a contract. My understanding is when you go to the Middle East today, you're some, you know, you work for some oil company and, and you enter into a contract, you, you actually do confirm or ratify the arrangement, the contract with a meal together. There's that covenantal understanding that the meal confirms, it ratifies, it seals the agreement that's being made. And when Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood, 
Again, he is saying to us, this is a covenantal meal in which I am confirming my promises to you, and you in turn are confirming your promises to me. So it's a time of uh, covenant renewal. So what, uh, what Je Jesus is saying to us through the bread and through the cup, what he's saying is, I am reaffirming my promises. As you put your faith in me, and as you repent of your sins, you will receive forgiveness. You will receive um, reconciliation with your maker. You will receive the gift of eternal life. You will receive the benefits in this life of, of peace and of joy and of contentment and of the security of knowing God as your father, as your provider and your protector. You get all, I, I am confirming all the benefits of the body and of the blood. And so those are the reminders. This is why it strengthens our faith to participate in the Lord's Supper. These are the reminders of his death and all of the benefits that come to us by his death. He's signaling that to us. He is reaffirming. He's confirming. He's ratifying that arrangement, those promises that he has made to all who repent and put their trust in Christ. So we, in turn, are, are doing what? Well, we are confirming our commitment to Christ. Uh, we're confirming our, our, our commitment to believe him, to believe his word, to honor the scriptures, to, to believe every word that's in this book, every jot and tittle, to believe God, uh, to obey God, to serve God, to serve his gospel, um, uh, to be faithful and, and loyal and, and, and trustworthy. Uh, we are confirming our commitment to Christ as our Savior from sin and as the Lord of our lives. In, in terms of historical development, in, in some circles the altar call came to replace the table. But what the altar call represents when people were urged to come forward and, and uh, often to recommit, to a reconsecration, this sort of thing, that, that was merely duplicating what was established by Christ himself at the supper. That, uh, that supper as a time of renewal, of uh, reaffirmation, of, of, of recommitment, of rededication. And so every time we observe the Lord's Supper, you have an opportunity to do that. That's why uh, there's, there's this element of, of self-examination. So as, as we read uh, further along, uh, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, let a person examine himself. So there's a certain element of, of self-examination. I represent myself as a Christian. Do I live as a Christian? Am I committed as a Christian? Uh, do I serve Christ as, as, as a Christian? Do I obey him? Do I believe him? Uh, so there's this, uh, this self-evaluation that takes place because this is, a, this is a, a, a covenantal meal. It's a covenantal meal that we participate in. And it, uh, as verse 27 says, it's desecrated by any kind of a irreverent or unworthy participation in that meal. It speaks in verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, in other words, without truly understanding the full implications 
of the body and blood of Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there's an evaluation, there's an examination for, the, for every one of us that goes on in this context. I should be asking myself as I participate, where am I spiritually? Am I where I ought to be spiritually? So there is a a, a sobriety about participation in the Lord's Supper. It takes on a serious tone, and properly such, uh, because you know, vows are being reaffirmed, in effect. Commitments are being uh, ratified and confirmed as we participate in, in, in the Lord's Supper. So uh, that has application in a variety of ways according uh, to our current condition. Uh, So for a a sincere believer who's coming to the Lord's table, this is a time of rejoicing because I'm being reminded of all the benefits of Christ. I'm being reminded of the forgiveness of my sins. I'm being reminded of reconciliation with God. I'm reminded that God is my Father and I enjoy His provision and I enjoy His protection. And and I have the gift of eternal life. I am eternally safe. So this is a a reminder for the sincere believer of all all the benefits that come to us by Christ. How about a lapsed or backslidden believer? Well, this is a time to repent, isn't it? It's a a time to take stock. It's a a time to evaluate. It's a time to renew that commitment. It's a time to repent of of uh, the backsliding, uh, the, the indifference that has crept into one's um, discipleship. It's a time to renew one's vows, renew that commitment, re- renew one's devotion to God in, in, in Christ, the lapsed, backslidden believer. This is a call to repentance and renewal, to get right with God, to get priorities sorted out, to begin again to view life from uh, the eternal and divine and biblical perspective. How about uh, for unbelievers? Well, unbelievers are excluded. So this is also a, a time to observe and learn and to, to contemplate the benefits that come by commitment to Christ. Contemplate those benefits that we have been rehearsing here this morning, those benefits. Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to be right with your maker? God has made a provision. He entered into time in the person of Jesus Christ. God became incarnate. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And he lived here and he, he died here. And he rose again, triumphant over sin and death. He conquered, he conquered sin and death. And, and you can know that your sins are forgiven, and you can know that you're in a right relationship with God, and you can know that when you die, you will, you will go to heaven. This knowledge is accessible to us. So for the unbeliever, contemplate and meditate upon the meaning of the bread and of the cup, the body and the blood, and all the benefits that come thereby, and let this be the day of your salvation and a step toward the day when you too can be included in participation in this extraordinary privilege of table fellowship with the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Let that day come when he pulls out a chair and and directs you to sit at the table with him and enjoy 
all of his benefits. And, and then there's, there's children. So we have another category, non-communing children. They're, they're, part, they're, they're, they're members of the church, but they don't, they don't take communion. Why? Because they're not capable yet of discerning the body. They're not yet of an age where they can, they can engage in a proper self-evaluation, self-examination. And it's only when they make their own profession of faith in Christ that they then are admitted to the table. So they have to give a valid profession of their faith as evaluated by the elders of the church. Do they give a credible profession of faith? When they do, they are welcomed uh, to the Lord's table. So I address myself not only to sincere believers and backslidden belie uh, uh, believers and unbelievers, but I also address myself to the children of the church and, and, and remind you that you have unfinished business with God. And uh, the, the day needs to come hopefully sooner rather than later, when you get on your knees before God and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord and then are admitted to this table, to this privilege of table fellowship with the risen and ascended and ruling Lord Jesus Christ. And make that commitment to him. Receive him as Savior. Submit to him as Lord. Surrender your life over to him and get all the benefits of which we have mentioned in, in this service thus far. And then, and then lastly, fifthly, so we not only proclaim the gospel, enjoy fellowship with God in Christ, receive spiritual nourishment, confirm our commitment to Christ, we are also displaying a way of life. This is a prominent theme in the New Testament. It is displaying a way of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when, when Jesus bids a man come, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he bids him come and die. So Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You must lose your life in order to gain eternal life. And so the apostles pick up this theme. Peter says that Christ provided for us an example of his suffering that we might follow in his steps. His steps where? His steps to death, to a cross. The apostle Paul, Galatians 2, says, I have been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. I don't have a life of my own anymore. It doesn't belong to me. It's not my life. That old person that I was, that person was crucified. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live in him and for him who loved me and gave himself for me. We display a way of life. The body and the blood are reminders of the death of Christ and of the cross that he died for us, that we might die to ourselves and serve him. Again, I quote the apostle, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires, Galatians 5.24. So the table represents what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live a Christian life. It means sacrifice. It means death to self. It means crucifying the flesh and all of its uh, illegitimate desires and passions and placing them uh, at the foot of the cross, crucifying them so that we might live again for him. In the language of Romans 12, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says there, 
that we offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. We're not our own. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. It's not your life anymore. It's not your life to live as you want. It's not for you to just pursue your own dream. You are not your own. You belong to him. And so the cross represents the Christian life, a life in which we have died to ourselves in order that we might live for him. So when we invite you to the table, what are we inviting you to do? To enjoy fellowship with God, to receive spiritual nourishment, to renew your commitment to Christ, and to enter fully into the Christian way of life as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we bow our heads, O Lord, having already confessed our sins, but again praying that you would renew our hearts, that we might partake in a worthy manner here uh, this morning. We pray that with the apostle we might crucify the flesh and its lust, that we might be crucified to the world and the world to us, that we might live no longer for ourselves, that this might be our great ambition, to live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. O oh Lord, we pray for the benefits of the great physician to heal our sick. We pray for our, our nation, for spiritual revival throughout our land. We pray for Christian mission around the world, that this gospel message, this transformative and powerful message of the gospel might spread to the ends of the earth, that the knowledge of God might cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We offer it in Jesus' name. Amen.